0: Hi, my name is Steve Wishart, and I'm the IB World Schools Manager for Australasia at the International Baccalaureate. For this episode, IB leaders share their experiences in placing a higher priority on dealing with individuals and relationships across the community. They also discuss how they build positive school cultures, which look after the well-being of all. We are joined by Darlene Fisher, host of our leadership podcast series, and IB leaders, Frank Brascia, Head of School at Goldcrest International. Chris Wright, Director of Education at Woodward Schools UK. Cheryl Keegan, Principal of Ningbo International School. And Angela Meikle, currently IB World Schools Manager and former Head of Elementary at Hanoi International School.
1: Hi, uh, Chris Wright here. I'm a Lead Educator for the IB, but I work in a systemic role over 48 schools in the UK. Um, So looking at this issue from the point of view of how the impact's been both on the state sector and also on the independent sector.
2: Hi, I'm Frank Bracha. I am Head of School of Goldcrest International in Navi Mumbai, in Mumbai, in India. I've been working at IB schools since 1994, and I am also an IB workshop leader and a school visitor and uh, I have uh, worked in PYP and MYP schools and have been a school administrator for 20 years.
3: Hi, I'm Cheryl Keegan, head of uh, an international school in Ningbo, China, a second-tier city there. Uh, I've been associated with the IB since the 80s, I dare to say, and uh, this is my 11th uh, international school to work in. My name is Angela Miko. I have worked
4: with uh, the IB now for over 15 years um, in continuum schools and my experience lies in the primary years program. Um, I've experienced in administration as a head of elementary um, coordinator and currently I've moved into a new role with the IB and working as a world schools manager. So looking over a large portfolio of schools, thinking about that context today.
5: Thank you and I'm Darlene Fisher. I'm very happy to be the moderator of the series of Ivy Leadership Podcasts and welcome you all to today's topic, which is about well-being and how well-being in schools and leadership practices has been impacted by COVID. So I want to put the question to you, really, how has COVID affected the list of priorities or where in your list of priorities, well-being has been moved, either for individuals in the community or for your community as a whole, students, how has, has COVID impacted the wellbeing that you've got to take care of? Chris?
1: I think what's interesting is, um, as a workshop leader, both online and face-to-face, is the amount of requests from schools both in terms of whole school staff rooms, but also in terms of leaders to actually take the wellbeing workshops we offer. And that they used to be very minor workshops. They've now very much taken centre stage as I think that very famous phrase which has been made in the last six, seven months, you know, the idea of Maslow before bloom, unless we look after the whole well-being and holistic agenda, there's not much chance that the learning will actually happen. So I think that's one key impact that we actually reorientated to get the well-being, the holistic agenda, which is very much at the heart of the IB mission and its approach central, but also understanding that well-being in itself is a complex and multidimensional construct. You know it's not just the cognitive and the importance of that but it's also the importance of the social it's the importance of the emotional how many people both students parents and teachers have felt very anxious it's also about spiritual in the sense of covid where's the sense of meaning where's the sense of purpose as well as the physical quite a lot of children have been stuck indoors sometimes in very small compartments and they haven't had for six months much outdoor space so a refocus on what it means to recalibrate that and to make sure that we're looking at the whole child and not just through the perceived rather pressurized view of assessments and academic.
3: I think that that's borne out in, uh, in my recent experience. The children literally ran back into school, even middle schoolers who normally you know want to run the other way because they were lonely, because they'd been cooped up, et cetera. And we've, uh, we've put pressure on them with their after-school activities, now that we're allowed to do them, to make sure that at least one a week is active, so that they're moving around. What I've found is um, addressing parent groups. We've just just now been able to invite parents back onto the campus after many, many months. Um, And you you mentioned something to them that's a common experience and most of our families are Chinese of one kind or another and yet they're very expressive about it suddenly. They were very quiet before and, and rather non-expressive. And now there's a ripple through the room when you mention anxiety or something like that, that they may be feeling. And they're very willing to to admit to everyone there, yes, I'm anxious about my child's future, I don't know about the foreign university, whatever the anxiety is. So it's, it's more on the surface, um, physically, and addressing staff, while well, one is always really careful about who's in the audience <clears throat> and what they may have recently uh, been through, I'm, my my antenna is so much heightened now because I have people who have not seen a one-year-old child for a year, and I have people who've lost family overseas and couldn't get to them, and so on. So you multiply that by all the possibilities, and I think that uh, that the well-being part is is generally
1: uppermost in my mind most day it's an interesting one there um, Cheryl because in the middle of all this COVID going on we have the May examinations and then certainly in different systems the A-level GCSE so in one Mm -hmm. sense we're saying to ourselves well-being is central stage and yet these assessments hit dead on and we know from the assessments point of view it was even more heightened anxiety over and above what they would normally have for exams. So I think there's this inherent tension between what we say is the academic side of school and the importance of pre-university assessment and actually then saying well actually there is a more important agenda here too. So it was an interesting conflict going on I think in the middle of the May examination season. In our school we had been trying to address a, wel- a wellness and mindfulness
2: in the school for the last few years specifically in line with the new IB standards and practices which yeah. actually does address wellness yeah. and also I think recent trends I think in the UK they're now mandating a wellness in schools so we've been trying to sort of move toward that and then all of this happened and the reality is I think this has put wellness and pastoral care for the students at the forefront. I've actually had meetings with my parents, and I actually tell my parents, my goal right now is not education. I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not getting you ready for exams. It's not teaching and learning. It is social, emotional welfare. It is compassionate learning. This has become the forefront. We're doing digital learning, not. Be, and I don't live in any fantasy world much. I think it's wonderful. I think digital learning is the best thing we can possibly do to keep the students connected. Mm-hmm. And our understanding of wellness is growing by leaps and bounds through this, not just by the needs of the teachers, but by the needs of the students. We're coming to realize that there is an incredible need for bonding and communication and personal information and personal connections that translate into success in the school. We humans, as organic beings, are not meant to do things virtually. I'm sorry to sound iconoclastic, but virtual reality is not real reality for the human species, Okay. It might be for some AI species of the future, but not us. So mm-hmm. what I see happening specifically with my IB1 diploma students is that most of them don't know the other students. They don't know their teachers. The, mm-hmm. the, 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 the knowledge only happened uh, uh, through the virtual environment. And students are not performing as they'd like. And teachers, of course, are going back to the thing they always do is blame the students, of course. And, and trying to. Sit the reason is they can't bond with each other. They can't bond with you. They need to actually see you. But we have to keep the digital learning because we can't cut that life. That is the lifeline for those kids. So we have to start addressing a way to properly address wellness in a virtual environment. And, and this is, I think, one of the biggest takeaways as my school is going to have from this. I think this school is going to transform my school uh, because we're in India. And you realize that the, the, the whole mode of a school in India is about exam results. So this is, is at least going to help us motivate our school to trying to address wellness, which I think will put us in line with, with new ideas for the IB in terms of standards and practices.
5: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Angela?
4: There's so much to take in. Um, I was reflecting on when um, our school, I was a previously head of elementary in Vietnam, and we closed in February. So we didn't have anyone who was ahead of us in, in leading the experience. Um, And so in transitioning to a virtual environment, very quickly as as everyone did, um, you know, we began with um, just starting with the academics because that's where the parents said, well, this is where you need to start. Um, We need to make sure that we don't, you know, lose any of these, this progress. Um, And and equally teachers were concerned that they didn't want to lose the, you know, the quote gains um, that students had been making by that point in the year. And, and very rapidly, as our adrenaline wore off of setting up the platforms and firefighting and we became stable in those, in those systems, um, what we had to course correct for and adjust was building in time for things like setting up just things to make sure that the connections and the relationships could be established. Because when you're only coming onto a call to do a number talk for mathematics, It doesn't allow the space for students to keep connecting. So what we did was we had to restructure our timetables and equally make sure that parents understood that this is because your children cannot get together for play dates right now. Um, We see that they want to use the chat feature for social purposes. So we had to make sure to, to add that into our schedule. And it was, I would say, just as much, if not more valuable sometimes than as you were bringing up, Frank, about you know, the, the quote, academic time, because it really provided then the foundation for which they could do other work.
5: It certainly sounds from, from the conversations here that's in line with what we're hearing uh, across the media that well-being is a much higher priority than it ever has been before for leaders and teachers in schools to look after. And you just mentioned a couple of examples, Angela, of how that was being looked after by stu- for students. Could I ask you to, to talk about any of you examples of ways that you were building and looking after well-being for students or teachers during this time? What are some of the examples that you could share with others that they could perhaps
3: pick up if they haven't already done themselves? Cheryl? I'm in a large uh, Chinese campus with a foreign language school and the international school is a little bubble on the side. Um, And I'm changing the culture through this uh, epidemic, because we've uh, renegotiated rooms to, to have separate staff rooms for eating, because suddenly no one's allowed to eat in any other space. And so it's allowed us to buy lounge furniture and occasional tables and all the things that make a space comfortable and dictate that each of the five sections of the school must have a staff room where people can gather. And hitherto, that was not not cultural at all. You know, uh, the Chinese side of the school eat in a very large dining room, which doesn't always suit a mix of our foreigners and our bilingual Chinese. So that's been been a gift. But the other thing is um, we've been much more aware of, um, as Angela said, of scheduling. And the scheduling has, uh, has changed to be encompassing um, some time, some space, some reading time, some downtime, et cetera, a little more than it normally would have. So that, in fact, face-to-face teaching is down a little in terms of minutes, but activities in a group and bonding activities are up. And I think that seems to be benefiting everyone. Yeah, I'm hearing quite frequently that comment of
5: less is more when teachers are talking about what they're trying to achieve.
1: Chris? I like your use of the word culture, um, Cheryl, because just the way we do things around here. And, you know, Frank talked about that change between uh, the refocusing on the well-being being centre, the core of what we're doing. And I think for for some of our schools, that's quite a cultural change. Um, especially both in the parental culture Frank will also refer to that very high aspirational parental who thinks they go to school to get a just the academic but also I think teachers and, and also leaders how do you change the culture of school where some teachers may have perceived it as quite a judgmental culture they're always being held to account and how do leaders and how do staff feel supported and that's quite a cultural change especially in certain national systems where teachers feel very much that and how do you I like your idea of the moving away from your very large canteen situation um, to small groups because one of the wonderful things which I think happened in in the emergency remote learning was the way that staff reached out and collaborated mainly online I accept all that they formed great networks and so did leaders so how do we create that more collaborative um small supportive culture within our staff rooms where people can feel supported by each other and you know Angela you mentioned social chat well I've got a daughter who's 14 and she discovered social chat amazingly and you know where's the culture there before that it was all about are students allowed to take phones into schools you would never ask that question these days I mean it's it's like it's a completely different question a recalibration you've got to think very seriously before you tell a kid not to do social chat these days I think there's some great challenges there about how we build that supportive, non-judgmental social culture as a basis for all that we're doing.
2: Thank you. Frank? Well, I think you know, echoing both as Cheryl and Chris have said, uh, basically, I think one of the great takeaways we've had in terms of addressing wellness was to grant our teachers greater freedom in managing the school i mean i'm an historian so i have to make this historical analogy it's like battlefield promotions and there are staff members who you never i must be honest with you staff members you never realized had leadership or pedagogical leadership capacity that have jumped into this fray and have taken things and have aggressively contacted me and demanded we make certain changes in certain ways and led the teachers toward that. And I think that this is one of our greatest takeaways, is having a much more collaborative and organic decision-making, first centered around scheduling, because we learned a lot more about scheduling. Scheduling the school when everyone's in school is one thing. Scheduling the school with teachers who who are also in lockdown at home and have you know, responsibilities and and to try to deal with with all of this has really, you know, changed the way we thought about our teachers and and actually listening to their opinions. And at the same time, also with students. Uh, I'm now doing weekly surveys with the students to get their feedbacks, more diploma students getting feedback on the digital learning and meeting with the student council about it. And they're much more open to discuss problems than they would have been a year ago. So I think Mm -hmm. in in our school, it, it is creating a paradigm shift. Toward uh, student agency and even teacher agency in that particular context, and I think that's a very positive thing for a school. So,
5: thank you, Angela. Would you like to add anything there?
4: As we are traveling through this pandemic, it's a different kind of disaster, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not something that you know a a tornado came through the town or you know goodness knows in the West coast of America right now, they're dealing with horrific fires um, and, you know, the event happens and it's a, a major crisis. And then you, even though it might take months or years to sort of have to, I guess, clean up and, and deal with that, this is, this is ongoing and much of it is um, it is invisible and we can't see it so there is this sense of just i I know for myself as a leader just naming that it is challenging there is loss um you know the grief that goes along with it and it's very ambiguous because of the uncertainty and so for staff i think in terms of supporting their well-being making sure to name and to notice um that it is challenging you know i I'm not sure if we're out of Act 1 yet, but it feels like we're in Act 2. Um, and at some point, there will be an Act 3 and there will be resolution. But right now, we're, we're really in a messy middle stage of this. And just being able to articulate that for staff, that it's, it's okay if you have hard days and this isn't easy, but we're in it together, sort of um, collectively, I guess you could say. It's a historical time maybe to go to what you were saying about being a historian we are living in historical times, so just making sure for staff that they can speak up and advocate for themselves when they notice that they're feeling all the feelings that we are right now absolutely cheryl
3: um i'd like to suggest that a lot of this is also to do with identity because when they were sitting at home often by themselves our students did feel that their identity as our students uh, was slipping away from them. And teachers at all levels, because we had people from two years old to 20 years old online for months and months, and at all levels, the teachers said that the uh, The most welcoming thing was to see lots of faces on the screen and remember the group and so on and do different things like that even at the IBDP level. We have not been able by law to insist that children wear uniforms until COVID and suddenly now we're able to and we We are really being stringent about that. And to be honest, they really like putting on that sign of identity. And recently we've just ordered some polo shirts and some warm jackets for the teachers, not because we want them to wear a uniform, but just that we think we're quite excited about being able to give them something that bonds them and that, you know, corny as it may be, it will enhance their feeling of a group because all of us are looking at a world that's rather more fragmented and, and where our identity as national citizens is rather unsure because borders are closed or because of lots of reasons really. So I think it's really important in a in a real way, in an authentic way, to grab at the identity that you can and to reinforce it. It's mm. so an interesting
5: perspective there, uh, that focus on identity. I I was gonna Comment, I guess, on the idea that on the comment that's coming through is that there was a lot more conversation with teachers. Many heads were saying that they've spent more time interacting one-on-one with teachers, and I guess also that has been a requirement of working with students. And I I, I see how that encouragement to feel a part of a group and that identity is going to help the feeling of a relationships being real and ongoing. And I I guess thinking so. How do do these things, how does this identity and this feeling of well-being be looked after when it's you as the leader that has to be looked after? How are leaders looking after themselves in these times of COVID?
1: It's interesting because, you know, the 48 schools I I work with, um, the most important thing is to treat them, those 48 head teachers, those 48 principals, as a group in themselves, as a group that have to be looked after and also moulded together. They're all... They're all very exposed. They're all very vulnerable. They all having to make very challenging decisions in a snap of a second, as it were. So right from the beginning, the, the amount of meetings we've almost had, just where we provide a space where the, t- the head teachers can just talk to each other. Sometimes just sharing experiences. The last one we had on Friday was very much, how do you get a test? Because we're running out of tests in the UK at the moment. How do you get a test? And what do you do? And it's just sharing those experiences. I think that's one side of it and the other side of it I think head teachers have become great pollinators and catchers of ideas the amount of head teachers tend to work in a vacuum sometimes but during this last six months the amount of times they've reached out and actually created new networks for themselves so I think that's been a very liberating thing to do but I think two challenges I think is reviewing their own personal operating systems you know what really matters to them how are they making decisions what role can they have and I think you know Frank referred to the fact that you know very diverse leadership listening to different perspectives where teachers can be involved in decision making I think but looking at what do I really stand for what's really important and I think the other part of it is having what I was probably called integrative awareness trying to trying to balance what you're feeling and what you're thinking with all the chaos going out there and doing that reflective juggling act and not just getting caught into some of the head teachers were getting caught into snap decisions on a daily basis without creating that time for reflection so i think it's been a really complex time for leaders to look after themselves and besides getting off that 24 7 Ride uh, where head teachers have felt they've just needed to be available to everybody all the time, and that's created a high level of exhaustion in certain areas. Well, I think you know when this when you're a leader,
2: uh, your role is to show no emotion. Your role is to always be strong for everyone. I, I don't actually think that's that's what a leader should be. I believe in organic leadership. But when this happened, everyone turned to me you know, to be the leader. And believe me, I had my own anxieties. My daughters are in the UK. My wife's in Norway. I'm here. So we were all separated. So there was a lot of personal anxiety going on in my life. But I couldn't show that to my staff or my students, of course, because you have to be strong for them. And there was, a, just like Chris said, there were teachers contacting me 9, 10 o'clock at night, wanting to meet with me, team to discuss things. And at first, I did all that. And as time went by, one thing we have in India, we have a wonderful IB Heads Association, and we have not just a WhatsApp group, we have Zoom meetings all the time. We're all friends with each other. A number of us are. So we start to have a series of online cocktail parties and things like that and meeting with our fellow heads. And sometimes some of our heads would do webinars or workshops on things like wellness. And other times we would just discuss our feelings about stuff. And that's helped. And, and on a personal level, giving my teachers more independence and not having to micromanage has actually been for me a personal achievement. And I'm I, I hate to say this, but I'm actually managing my school less than I was before. And as we've into the new school year, it's more of people more calm reporting to me. And because uh, we're we're sort of in a lockdown, there's a lot more socializing going on. I must be I, I've had more I, I I love to cook, so I've done more dinner parties in the last two months than I've done the last two years and so there's been a lot more socializing a lot more of the other heads coming to our house and having dinners and discussing so there's you know people have more time we're not traveling two hours a day getting back and forth to work so there's a lot more time for people when they can get together to be more human so in this pace now especially in India where the lockdown is sort of starting to end even though the schools are closed our ability to communicate with each other is proving to be very successful strong for me in my own personal wellness you know and also to be honest my teachers and my students in their own way have held me up emotionally uh, because getting those chances to meet with them and those teachers could sometimes be almost very emotional for me when I would have a meeting with all you see all their faces on the Zoom. We did did a graduation, a virtual graduation, which was wonderful because it cost absolutely nothing. It was the first graduation ceremony we had that cost me nothing. So that was really good. But it was actually very well run because the students ran the whole thing and it was like the students saying thanks to the teachers for all you did for us and it was very rewarding and that's why we are all in the education business because that these are the rewards we get you know business people don't have that joy that we have so those things i guess hold us up
5: what i'm hearing is that people are sensing a much deeper need and and value for personal relationships and the uh, heads and leaders have actually made many more connections and mm-hmm. collaborated much more than they would have in the past. Gotcha. And I would imagine that that's something that's going to go forward mm-hmm. into the future. Um, as a way of, of pulling this together and, and thinking and reflecting on the impact of COVID, can I ask what, what do you think are some of the takeaways that, the specific takeaways for schools and leadership? That come out of the that are related to wellness and well-being. What are the things you want to keep, really keep and sustain in your schools that are coming out of uh, the experiences we've all
3: shared, Gerald? I think um, the notion of full service. When uh, we, like Angela, we uh, left school in February. And so we were some of the earliest in the world to close down. And as a result, um, one section of my school, a North American program where they tend to go to Canada, um, the graduates uh, have been at home learning online before they go. And they're not our, uh, our best students. They're our rather challenged students. And out of um, out of about forty of them, nine have already given up online because they can't sustain it. And so I'm uh, I'm trying to uh, get a, a classroom and space ready for them should they want to come and and learn at school, even though they've graduated until they can go to university. And that it's part of that notion that there's a lot more service that we can offer than just exam results, you know, as Chris was saying I, I think we I think this will help us to be more full-service places so that you know the people people can come to us and and get uh, a variety of solutions and and maybe not all you know, outwardly academically successful and maybe not all recognizable by everyone, but as long as we take care of them in our various ways, both staff and students and families. I think that's really what we're about. And I think that the new, the new notions in the IB, the agency and the new standards and practices, again, you know, are looking that way. And I think that um, it's come at a time when we needed to reconsider and we're forced to reconsider. So in a sense, it's, it's uh, not terrible.
4: I was reflecting on what uh, you had said, Chris, at the beginning, that, you know, you often will offer the workshop for social and emotional learning, and previously it was, you know, perhaps minimally uh, picked up, and now it is the most frequently um, requested workshop, Um, and I've led that workshop as a workshop leader, so I I guess one of my hopes is um, yes, that it's continued to be requested, but also that, you know, this is something that maybe previously was on the periphery. It was something that, oh, it, it's in my, I need to get to that list. And, and that sounds like a good idea, maybe for next year's um, planning, but you know, it when it comes to a crisis and you have things, you know, sort of put forward and it, it all of a sudden isn't an option anymore. Mm-hmm. I guess my hope is that it stays at the center and everything radiates from there, um, and that we keep our well-being as really the core and the foundation. Like that's the plate that everything else sits on, um, and we don't take that away, um, so that we keep considering that as where, like that is it is an energy source that we're working with, um, and so that. Now, I also hope that our students keep advocating for it. I hope our parents, I think, have really come to appreciate um, when different programs or initiatives related to well being come up. Sometimes, perhaps, an assumption I have is that it maybe isn't looked at as favorably as other initiatives that come forward. So now I, I really hope I and I believe that I think parents really see the value in it as well. Um, and I think also for our organizations that this keeps coming through in systemic ways. So things like the standards and practices and then just other ways that it weaves through the fabric of, of everything that we do. Chris.
1: I think one of the great challenges in the last few months has been the role of the leader to make sense of this, what's going on, sense making. Well, my challenge is: I hope sense making is matched by sense breaking. The old ways of doing things are challenged. We don't just go into a reboot. We decide what makes sense for us now. And I suppose if I go back to an IB theme here, you know, positive education always talks about character strengths. We're we're here to develop characters. Well, the L, uh, the IB really have a fantastic way of describing those characters, we call them the attributes of the learner profile and I hope if we can just refocus on that and how the learner profile really does go to the heart of our mission and the mission is embedded in what we're actually doing in schools, that would be my aspiration, that we recalibrate the focus on how are we developing balanced and open-minded and reflective young people who can go out and change the world Um, And yes, they do need some academics for that I'm not saying they don't but to recalibrate there are many other ways And that's our main aim to produce and nurture Those people who can go out there and make our world a more peaceful place and a better place. So back to the LP for me Thank you Frank
5: anything the final takeaway
2: Well, I think that uh, this has caused all of us to realize the value of each other and the value of a teaching team to promote learning in a school. It isn't really top-down. And also promote collaboration in school communities. And I think specifically, as our colleagues have said, I think it will lead us to make wellness more to the center of our teaching and learning, which I think would, of course, be the best takeaway that we can have if we can sustain that. And I think we will. I don't think we'll ever be able to go back to the past. We'll try, but we'll never be able to go back to where we were a year ago. And that maybe could be a good thing. So, in terms of teaching, you know, if we move schools to wellness, emotional learning, compassionate learning, if we move needs for professional development to address those things, that would be very good for any IB school, any school in the world.
5: I think there's a very strong feeling that that we need to make sure as much as possible that well-being uh, continues as an important focus Mm -hmm. of all leaders within schools and teachers within schools, and that it becomes a much more higher profile part of discussions about what is the learning that's going on in our school and how do we encourage and support the well-being of all community members so on behalf of the rest of the community thank you so much uh, for being here today and sharing your ideas and philosophies and contributions and experiences it's been wonderful to hear from you and look forward to seeing you again in another uh, podcast
0: thank you for listening Subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to check out more episodes of IB Voices on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next time for more insights from our IB community.